0: then that's really about it. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 2. It's where we find ourselves tonight. So let's go before the Lord once more, and we'll pick it up there. Father, again, we come before you, Lord, and excited to hear from you that you're so faithful to do to speak to us through your word. And now we ask, Lord, that you would just... Prepare our hearts and open our minds to receive all that you want to say to us, Lord. You always want to speak to us, Father, and we always pray that we'd have ears to hear, Lord, because you speak to us through many different things in many different ways, certainly throughout the day and even in throughout the night, Lord, I believe that. But there's something that special happens when we gather together together, uh, in your name, that you're in the midst, Father, and you do a, a great work and a special work, Father. And so we pray that you would, um, uh, we, well, we know you're faithful to do it, Lord, but we just, we ask that you, we would be able and desiring to, to receive all that you want to say, Father. And we know that uh, your love for us is perfect in every way, Father, so we anticipate great things, Lord, because you're a great and awesome God. And we love you and we thank you. So bless this time, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, we left off with the beginning of the book of Judges last week, chapter 1. And the chapter really kind of just goes through some of the issues that these tribes... Now, we call them tribes, but they were just groups of people. And remember, they could all trace their family family lineage back to one of 12 sons from this man named Jacob. God changed his name to Israel. That's why we call him the children of Israel or the children of Jacob because his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And Israel just means governed by God. And we talked about that way back in Judges. Maybe you'll remember that. And so he had 12 sons, and everybody could follow um, you know, not everybody, because there were some people that came with them out of Egypt and there was others. But for the most part, they could all follow uh, their ancestors back to one of those 12 boys. And then they settled in those groups of people called the 12 tribes. Now, we talked about the, the, the major armies had been defeated in the promised land there. God had did a great thing, but there were still areas for them to go in and possess. So they gave them the borders. We talked about it, and then they were to go in there. And remember, they were to drive out all the inhabitants. They weren't supposed to be left in the in the land. God warned them that that would be a big trap or a snare. A snare is just a trap and it, something to catch you in unaware. And um, and again, um, we know at first they had some problems. Um, uh, taking over the land they they weren 't willing they weren 't leaving willingly those groups that were there, but as they grew stronger and when they had the ability to do that, well, you see they kind of compromised and said oh we don 't need to do all that, and we could probably use them in some way and probably get something out of it and, and they kept, ended up just leaving groups of those people around and we that 's what we talked about in, in last week in chapter one now uh so, uh, the Lord kind of gives us the background of that chapter, and then he goes into, we go into chapter two here, and we kind of take a step back in time. We kind of go back into when Joshua was still around. Now, remember, um, we kind of think in our own minds, in the Western mind here, certainly things are, should be written in order. Like, you always start with the first thing that happens, and then you keep going in order until you get to the last thing. Well, the Bible doesn't do that. In a lot of places, as a matter of fact, it doesn't do that. Uh, the Bible, um, a lot of times, it will give you a a, a, a a short picture of what's going on, and then in the next chapter, or two or three, or half a chapter, or whatever it might be, it'll go back and start explaining all the detail. It would be kind of like if I said um, uh, I went to, um, let's say, Portland, Oregon, for example. Let's say I, decide I went to Portland, Oregon on a trip. I got back, and I walked into church tonight, and you said, hey, Dylan, how was your uh, trip to Portland? I'd say, oh, it was great, there wasn't much rain, the weather was pretty, we got to visit a lot of sites, and, uh, you know, um, uh, the hotel we stayed in was very nice. And they'd be, oh, okay, and then maybe you might say, well, well, tell me what else happened, and then maybe I would start going into the detail. Well, we took I-5 up there, and then we, you know, we decided to, go along the Columbia River, and then I would go back in and give you all the detail. It's kind of something like that. The Bible does that a lot. It'll, it'll tell you, uh, uh, give you kind of an overview, and then it'll go back in and give you the detail. And if you would, in some sense, that's kind of what's going on here tonight. Uh, we we got the overview of what happened. They, they didn't possess take all the land that they should have, and now the Lord goes back and tells us. Uh, back in uh, in Joshua's day, exactly how that all went down. Okay, so that's kind of what chapter two is 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 about. So let's look at verse one of Joshua chapter or sorry, Joshua Judges chapter two, and it says the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Boktin. Now, um, before we go on a little bit, I, I just want to note that because whenever time we read something about the angel of the lord i think it's important that we just stop and remember who the angel of the lord is now if you have your bible and it's a king james bible and i encourage you have your bible open in front of you make notes follow along there's some bibles on the side table if you don't have one please get one and follow along it's you get so much more out of it and if you have the king james bible or the new king james bible which we're reading out if you notice the word angel is capitalized, and so they kind of tell you ahead of time here that this is somebody special, not just an angel, but the angel of the Lord, and again, um, it gives us that clue that, uh, that. and again, angel just really means messenger, by the way, um, but he's the angel of the Lord, but again, notice it's capital, so it's a, it's a person, and of course, Lord is capitalized, you notice, L-O-R-D, which is uh, the Hebrew word for Yahweh or Jehovah. That's actually the name of the Lord. Remember, God is a title. Uh, Lord, L-O-R-D in all capitals, is actually his name. And uh, we don't know how to pronounce it because the pronunciation was lost a long time ago. So it's Yahweh or, or Jehovah, some people. Yehovah, some people put it that way. Either one's fine with me. So this angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to, it's actually Bochim, and uh, notice he wasn't just an angel, as we'll read here in a little bit. Uh, This is uh, what we call an incarnation, or Jesus coming before uh, the babe in Bethlehem, if you would. Now, we know that Jesus was always in heaven before he came. We know that. He's the everlasting father, prince of peace, He's eternal. And so he came at different times, as we've talked about, you know, in different places throughout Scripture. We saw him in Exodus or Genesis, you know, with Abraham. And we saw him in Exodus with Moses. He was with Joshua. He went to Joshua in the book of Joshua, we talked about. Remember, before they went into battle with Jericho, there was the angel of the, um, of the army of the host of the Lord was there and met with him and talked to him. And, and, and again, so it's just the Lord coming in a special way. Uh, before, uh, you know, Jesus came a- a- as the Savior. And so we know that he's here and speaking in a special way. And the Lord did that throughout the Old Testament, and we'll talk about as as we get to him and as we cross him. But here's one of them, appearing, uh, uh, again, to um, the people here in the land. Now, I find it kind of interesting, and we'll get into it in just a little second, but just uh, just, you know, let's look at our map real quick. So, Gilgal was that little city outside of Jericho and and that's where they first set up when they crossed the the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They settled, kind of set up camp in in Gilgal, which is really right outside of Jericho. It's actually right about there. We'll see in a minute. And and so, uh, well, here's a little better view of it. So here's Jericho and here's Gilgal and there's, of course, Bethel over there. But the reason I'm showing you all that is that, you know, Notice that the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim. Now, now, it doesn't give us any more detail than that, but I find it interesting that the Lord maybe has been with them in a special way the whole time. Maybe just appeared at Gilgal and then uh, uh, went up to the people of Bochim. Now, Bochum, by the way, just means crying. It's the Hebrew word for just crying. Um, you know, um, uh, crying a lot. And so... Bochum wasn't really a, a, a city, but it was a place where they, we'll see here in a little bit that they were crying. So, uh, because of what happens, and again, so we don't know if it was right outside of Gilgal or somewhere near there. We know that the um, the tabernacle was set up just at the top of that blue line there, just out of out of picture there in, in Shiloh, and so. Um, Again, I, I find interesting that he is moving with the people, talking to them, and, and, and sharing this with them. So the Lord's saying something to them that they needed to hear, and we'll see here in a minute. Well, let's read what he says to them. And it goes on to say, And said, I led you up from Egypt, and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. Of course, we know this is, can't be just an angel. We're talking about the Lord. I did this. I did this. We know the Lord led them up. So... That's how we know it's not, uh, again, a regular angel. And I said to him, and I, and I said, and I'm sorry, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? So the Lord shows up. To, to the people there where you know, the main camp was set up in Gilgal and maybe was up towards Shiloh or Bethel in that area. It doesn't tell us exactly where, where this all happened here. But he's saying, you know, my intention was never to break this covenant or this promise to you. But you having the land, well, that was unconditional because the Lord said that was going to be their land. But whether they were able to stay in the land was conditional based on did they follow and listen to the Lord. He said, listen, if you're going to be like everybody else and you're going to follow in the ways of the people that were here before, you're not going to be able to be here. Because it's just an, the, the land, I won't allow it to stand in the land. And that's why he gave them these warnings time after time after after time. You, you know, Don't allow the stuff that's going on that you're moving into that you're seeing to stay there. Because if you do, it's going to influence you in a very negative way to say the least and really the lord only gave him a few things to do right one of them was clear out the land now there were certain borders they were to do that it was not going to be every single place because their borders he had given them were very large but certainly in the land of the canaanites and all those guys that we mention all the time they were well pretty much this area where all those colors are they were to clear everybody out there wasn't supposed to be anybody left over now God gave them land that encompassed all this and way up north there and even down south but but this part he said you know you're you're not to leave them there and and that was one of the few things he told them to do don't do that We, we could say is maybe in this way, maybe it makes it easier to understand Is you know, don't make friends with the people in the land at all. Don't get involved with them. Don't see what they're doing. Don't even go there. You know, you, you need to get rid of everything uh, or else it's going to trap you and entice you into that trap. Now, that might sound very familiar because, well, let's face it, the same thing goes on today. There's nothing really new here, you know we face those same kind of traps in our society today and in our lives yeah we're not we're not driving out the people that aren't you know part of the lord's people out of Watsonville, certainly no, but in that same sort of sense, you know there are these traps that are just woven into our society and our area that just want to get a hold of us i I spent half of a day today. At this huge pot um, growing place in Salinas, you know the Emerald Triangle—they call it out there—and and out there and um, and uh, for work. Just let's get that clear, okay? Here, I, I you know I, I was out there and um, I was in there and uh, yeah, I just want to make that very clear. But you know, huge plants. I was inside the greenhouses and I'm just making sure everything's. Safe. I'm looking at stuff and all this kind of thing and everything and. You know, I mean, as far as the eye could see, they probably have, I, I, I don't want to try to get it kind of accurate, but I bet you they have three, four 400,000 square feet under greenhouses, just, you know, cannabis. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's legal in our state. Yep, you won't get a ticket or whatever could have possibly happen to you. But is that a trap? You better believe it. <laughs> just because it's legal, as Christians, hello, th- there's tons of traps. Now, that's just one of them, and there's all sorts of one. That just happened to be the one that I kind of looked at today, and, you, you know, uh, looking at all this stuff. And and, and and But they had very similar things that the Lord said, I want to spare you from getting sucked into the stuff that's going on, and they've been doing for years and years and years, and it's permeated their society and way of doing things, that's just going to, man, it's just going to wreck you. And he warned them way back in Exodus, years before they got into the land, he told them, don't, don't, make sure that you do this. Don't, you know, get caught up and allowing and being satisfied with just going along with what everybody else is doing, because it is really going to, is going to hurt you in the end. And he told them that over and over again. Big traps life for you there. And this is what it said in verse 3. Read along with me. He says, therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So I told you to drive them out. But you guys, as we read last week, and maybe some of you weren't here, and you can listen to it online and and get caught up with us, but remember, uh, repeatedly, 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 you know, they were told, and and then last week, you know, they were encouraged to take it, don't give up, don't settle for less, continue to do it. But we know as time went on, they just, ah, let's not do it. We can use those people. We can have these things. We can get these things. It'll be good for us in the end. And they just didn't listen to the warnings of the Lord. And so now the Lord says, listen, you know what? You settled with it. That's the way you want it. That's the way it's going to be. Now, if you've been to this church very long, you've heard me say it, I don't know how many different times, but usually it's one of the worst days in our lives when the Lord finally gives us what we really want. <laughs> you know, I really want this and really want this and, you know, and, and, and Man, rather than wanting what the Lord wants and wanting what we always want, when we get it in the end, well, most of us have lived long enough to know how disappointing that is. And the Lord said, okay, if that's the way you want it, at some point he said, okay, then that's the way it's going to be. And and these Canaanite gods were going to be this huge temptation to want to entrap and to capture them. And he said, you know what, you're going to be careful because you're going to be infected by that that cancer, if you would, of that Canaanite idolatry. And, And the Lord wanted to spare them from all this. But the same is true today. He wants to spare us. He knows the traps of idolatry in our own lives today. Things that are out there trying to always get a hold of us. And you might think to yourself, well, Dilla, you know, these Canaanite gods, and we'll see a couple of them tonight. One is named Baal or Baal, however you want to say it. And, and Astrath was another one. You know, come on, we don't have little statues in our homes. We don't have these little things, you know, you know, around. That's pretty old school. That goes way back. You know, a long time ago. We don't really have those. I'm not going to be setting up little things in my home like that. I'm not going to be putting them and worshiping them and. And, 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 you know, doing any of those things. And, well, if you look real quick down at verse 13, just kind of scan your eyes down to verse 13, you notice it'll say, they forsook the Lord and and served Baal or Baal, however you want to say it, and the Astroths. And you may say, well, that's, you know, that's them, that's their, you know, this is written, what, 1400 BC, and, you know, we're so, you know, modern society, we don't do that kind of stuff. Well, y- you know, these... These idols had different things and worshipped in different ways over the years. But you know, um, Baal or Baal was believed, uh, you know, at, at a lot in that time that he controlled the the weather. And and Ashtroth, well, she was thought to be, or they worshipped her. The Canaanites worship her to be the god of fertility. And you know, well, you know, here's a uh, here's what you know, a statue that they dug up about that time. Again, he was called and worshipped in many different ways over over the years. Um, But, you know, and there was different, depends where they were, exactly what they made. But, you know, that's one picture about what they looked like at that time. And you say, well, that's just silly, a god of weather. You know, uh, I would never be caught up in something like that. Uh, You know, that's, you know, we don't really have those issues today. Uh, But think back in their day what was the weather to people that grew, depended on the weather to pretty much grow everything, right? If they didn't have rain, their crops would die or their orchards or whatever they were, everybody had something or the grass would die where your 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 livestock couldn't eat, right? Your lambs, your goats, whatever, cows, whatever you were raising, this or that, y- you know? The weather was a huge thing. If the weather was great, man, you would could make a, a good living in your Everything would be going well and wonderfully, and so you know the weather played a huge part of that. And so, of course, these people left there as, yeah, here's our little statue of worship because, man, if you offer him this or you do this or pay attention this way, you know you'll have good weather, the sun will be out when the crop should grow, and we'll get plenty of rain when we need to have water, and and, and this and that, and you, you know, and, and if you you know do all these things, well, you'll prosper. Isn't that some temptation today? I mean, don't people sacrifice so much in the name of prosperity to get ahead, to make money, to have more, to buy this and to get this? You know, how many people in our society chase the same thing, prosperity? How many people sacrifice so much in the name of prosperity just so they can have more? I I mean, just to pay the rent in this community takes about One and a half jobs, doesn't it? I I mean, really. And thinking about buying a place for most people is just out of the question because it costs so much. And the people that do, you know what it is. They both have to work, you you know, or they have to have another family with them. And everybody's working just to, you know, to to get ahead, to have a nice house or to have a new car, to get the latest electronic deals or this or that. You know, the work and take time off and can't spend time with the family and they get shuffled off to a relative or a babysitter or something all in the name of having more and having this and keeping up with the latest and having all those things. How many people chase the same idol today of prosperity? Oh, yeah, it's not a little statue and it doesn't look all old school like that one. But the same kind of worship is going on. The same kind of thing is still happening there. The Lord warns us today. You know, don't chase that stuff, Marty. You might turn on the air conditioning on the middle one over there. It's kind of getting kind of warm in here. At least I am. I don't know about you guys. You getting warm too? Yeah. Just turn it on a cool and crank it up for us. Um, so again, I mean, it, I mean, it seems silly back in that day, but the same kind of traps are out in our society and this is just one one example of having having more having to have this or, or maybe this is Astroth, and you know there's all sorts of pictures and statues of this gal and she was called a few different things but the goddess of fertility and you think well that's kind of silly you know we don't really worship those things Well, and and that day, again, to be fertile was important. You you would want your animals to reproduce. That was big money. You know, having a a donkey was like having a pickup truck. You have 20 donkeys, you can carry a a lot of of your goods to market. You know, cows are like, or ox are like having tractors. Um, You know, uh, goats for for milk and for meat and sheep for the wool. the, The more you have, the more money you have and so for them to be fertile would be well a, a big draw and of course people wanted to have a lot of children to work all these things I mean having a big family was very important and so what the people were doing in that land well they oh we worship this you know goddess and and, and and their worship all revolved around sexual practices you know, there was priestesses that were basically prostitutes and you go in and do this and give a little bit to this and you go through this and then, you know, things will be well with you and, uh, you, you know, it'll bring you great pleasure. How, how many people are chasing sex today? You know? And, and the, all the associated things from the internet stuff and the phone stuff and and, and even broadening out into the fashion thing, right? You know? You know, having to look this way and have all this stuff, it's all about me and how I look and what I look like or the passion that drives, you know, maybe the more pure physical things. And, you know, it might seem like old school, but it's the same thing going on today. The same traps, the same temptations, the same issues, the same problems. And the Lord's telling him, hey, listen, Pretty soon you start worshiping these things, and you put that above everything else, including me. And the thinking always is, and it started just like them, guys, because our thinking is the same way. Oh, it'll be okay. It'll be fun. A little won't hurt me, but it will never stay small. That appetite is never satisfied. And that's why the Lord says, don't go there. And whatever it is, and, and, you know, there's a huge range. But you know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. You, you know, we, we it never stays small. It never stays something in control. It just spreads like cancer. And it won't ever stay small. And so the Lord says, listen, I, I don't even want you exposed to those things that are going to draw you in. Stay away from them. But they chose not to listen to that warning And as we'll see, ooh, that looks fun. Oh, hey, they're doing it. Hey, everything's going, nothing's really happening when when they do it. Maybe I'll be okay. Oh, I'll just do it for a little bit, you know. I'm not really going to do it all like those guys. And that was the thinking. Well, verse 4 says, So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place, Bokem and they sacrificed to the, uh, there to the Lord. So when the Lord speaks this to them, you know, they have a response. And the first thing they do is they're pretty upset. They're crying. Now, tears in and of themselves, you know, can be good and they can be kind of deceptive. Well, first on the negative, you know, tears without repentance is meaningless. You know, people get sad about getting involved in something and then having the repercussions come back on them. They feel bad about something they did wrong or they shouldn't have done. Absolutely. But if a person doesn't repent or turn away from that and turn to God, then it's pretty much meaningless. It's just tears. Trust me, you can go down to Salinas Valley Prison or Soledad, uh, you know, uh, correctional CTF down there in Soledad or you can go out to the farm or whatever they're calling it now out in Buena Vista down the street over here. And there's a lot of people that are sad over getting caught or doing something they shouldn't have done. But when they get out, will they repeat it? Maybe, maybe not. But crying in of itself, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. As a matter of fact, the New Testament says this in Second Corinthians 7.10. It says, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. In other words, you can be sorry about something but if it doesn't drive you to the Lord, then you know it's pretty much worthless. And you know, being convicted and you know, being condemned by the devil a lot of times kind of feels the same. The difference is, where does it drive you? (laughs) Does it drive you away from the Lord in church or the Bible or in prayer? Then that's from the enemy. If it drives you to the Lord, it it doesn't feel good, but okay, Lord, forgive me, I I need to get back into things, then then that's from the Lord, and that's a good thing, and good things will happen. But these guys, you know, they had some tears, and they actually called the place crying or weeping, if you would, and, you know, um, they offered sacrifices, which, you know, in one sense, I think they... They kind of got the picture here because, you know, that drove them to the Lord. And that's what they did in the Old Covenant. They would go and, and worship the Lord that way. But nonetheless, it was still going to stay that way. And let's, let's read what happens, verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. And so the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath-Harris, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. So again, we read a little bit of what we talked about already uh, last time, or a couple weeks ago in the book of Joshua, what uh, happened to him at the very end there. So uh, they all went home. And then verse 10 is another kind of um, uh, sad commentary. And it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, that means all the generation of Joshua and the people around his age, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. So uh, it's... This is a real sad commentary here. Sad to say, the Lord had done great things in the lives of of Joshua and that whole generation where he lived, but it didn't go any further. The next generation, it didn't have much meaning to it, and that's pretty sad. Um, let me just remind you that God or our heavenly Father only has children; He does not have grandchildren. He doesn't have any other sort of relation. Either you're a child of God or you're not. Uh, You know, um, it's a personal relationship that only comes between a person and the Lord, and that's it. You know, I've had people, you know, known people over the years that tell me, you know, oh yeah, my parents were such great Christians, or my grandparents were, and. Or my husband or my wife or my children or this and that. And yeah, they, you know, they brought me up going to church and, you know, I, I learned the Bible from them and this and that. And, and the question always goes back to, okay, well, that's great. And I'm so happy that your parents, your grandparents, your children, your husband, your wife, your whoever, you know, love the Lord. But what's going on with you? It has, you have to have that relationship. It seems pretty obvious that they did. But you need to have that as well. And, and and something happened here. There was a disconnect. That next generation, you know, heard all the things and saw their parents, if you would, uh, you know, or grandparents, however old they were, serving the Lord, but it didn't translate into anything real in their lives. And it has to. Because if it doesn't, then there's no relationship there. There's no connection. Oh, yeah, your parents... Your grandparents, they're connected, but you need to be connected. I need to be connected. Each generation and each person needs to have a personal relationship with the Lord. They need to experience him in a personal way. You know, I always I always look at the story of David, you know, the second king, the greatest king, arguably, that the nation ever had. He loved the Lord. He could read the Psalms, and here's all that he's, the Lord did in through his life. Not a perfect guy. He had sins. They're recorded in public unlike most of ours, thankfully. You you know, but he loved the Lord. And and there was no question about it. You could see it, you could hear it, he said it, you could see it in his life. His son Solomon knew all that, saw all that, and even in 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 a sense was somewhat connected through his dad, but man, I don't think it ever really became his, or at least never really was that real solid foundation of his. And... You can see because of that, things were completely different in his life than they were in his dad's life. Now neither one of them were perfect by any means, but you can see the one that had the intimate relationship with, with, with the father and, and 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 his son Solomon. It was kind of a I don't know one foot in, one foot out. I, I, it wasn't really a big strong connect there. And by the next generation, so David's grandson or Solomon's son, that was it. it was it, there wasn't anything there. I mean, they just walked in a whole, he walked in a whole different direction. And again, it's important that we see that, you know, we need to have our own relationship. We need to have that intimacy. And then we have a responsibility to pass it along as well. You know, as parents, as older brothers or sisters in the Lord, or just people that know the Lord to people that don't, we need to pass that along. All of us are responsible. But each generation needs to have their own personal relationship with the Lord, and each person does. They need to experience that. I, I think it's kind of some somewhat similar. There's a kind of a similarity in, in, in our community. Now, the illustration breaks down a little bit, so don't hang me over this. But, you know, there there's a, a, a number of people in our community that, you know, were probably brought up in the Catholic Church. And I'm speaking in a general broad sense, okay? but you know we're brought up in the catholic church or maybe as children their parents brought them um you know to to mass on sunday or maybe not all the time but maybe on a somewhat frequent basis but but then as they you know get a little older and they start their teenage years or maybe they move out of the house or whatever and and then there's a complete disconnect because you know they kind of see that well that was good for my parents but there's really nothing there for me you know it's there's not a whole lot going on here and You know, so they turn to what the world's doing. And and they just, you know, there's really nothing there. That was kind of their connection. It's really not my connection. Never had a connection. So I just kind of go off doing my own thing. And I think we have a lot of that here. Now, I understand the reason a lot of people have a disconnection there because it's a lot of religion and liturgy, or, you know, they go through the ceremony, maybe another way of putting it. And so they, you know, they don't see the connect maybe between their how their families living that go there all the time, and you know, and then what they're doing regularly. And so maybe there's a lot of reasons for them to walk away. But I think, you know, uh, you know, you can kind of see that just in our own community here. And if you would, in a, in, a, in a sense, you know, that kind of happened wholesale here in the Book of Judges, which brings us to the last section of this chapter here um, which is the cycle of this whole book this whole book is one cycle that goes round and round and round and round and here it is we're going to read it and then we're going to see it repeated for the next what 10 or 15 weeks whatever we are on this book you know we'll see it repeated the same cycle And, and here it is right here it gives it to us verse 11 then the children of israel did evil in the sight of the lord and served baal's and they forsook the lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods uh, from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hand of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they can no longer stand before their enemies. So they chose to forsake the Lord, and the Lord at some point just says, if that's the way you want it, I'll let you have it. And thus they head into this cycle. Now, you might be thinking or maybe asking yourself, is... Um, uh, why? You know, why didn't the Lord just drive out all those people? I mean, at the very beginning when Joshua was there, just get rid of them all, be done with it, let the people move in, and there would be, you know, none of this going on. You know, why, you know, did the Lord leave it up to them to follow through to move all those things out and, and potentially not? deal with all those temptations? Why not just get rid of them all at once? Why doesn't he get rid of all those sins and temptations and problems and issues that we struggle with all at once in our lives? Why doesn't he just get rid of all the old stuff? Or maybe why not just take us to heaven as soon as you're saved? Boom, you're there, you know? Lord, I receive you and, you know, your eyes close in the prayer and then they open up and you're in heaven right why doesn't he do that at times to me it seems like well that would be so much better but that's not what the lord has planned there's work for us to do here he wants to use us there's preparation for eternity in our lives that happens down here and we have to pass along what we've received to others the lord chooses to use people Trust me, I think to pass along his message, he could do it about a million other ways a lot better than using people. But he chooses to use us. And, and so um, the Lord allows those things, and society as a whole moves in those directions. And yes, the, you know, the Lord could have gotten rid of those things, but you, you know what he wants? He wants a partnership with us, in, in a sense. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to trust him. He wants to work in and through us. He wants us to trust and to follow him and and, and and not the world. And he leaves those things here and here and he builds up all those things because sometimes we say, Lord, just take it away. I'm so tired of losing my temper. Or I'm so tired of that temptation coming up. Or I'm so tired of falling myself back into that way of thinking, or whatever it is, gossiping, lying, partying, cussing, I don't know, the list is you know all about endless. You know why? Well, I want to do a great work in you, and I'm going to give you, as Christians, of course, in the New Covenant, we have such an immeasurable great advantage. He chooses to dwell in us, and I want to work in and through you, but I want your heart to be willing to follow me. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how willing am I willing to how, how willing am I to allow you to be God in my life? Am I going to keep my idols and my passions and my things on the side here? Or, Lord, am I going to give myself to you? Am I going to uh, be the one and, and be used by you and enjoy that peace and joy? Or am I always going to be struggling? Up one week, down the next week. Up one day, down the next. Happy, depressed. You know, uh, uh, empty. You know, what, what, what are we going to choose to do? And I, I think, you know, we need to make that choice. He, he wants to do great things in us, but he never forces us to do anything. And he'll never take us one step further than we want to go in him. He's not gonna be pulling us by the ear. Come on, you gotta come on, get off it, Dylan, let's go, or push us along. No, how far do you? How deep do you wanna go? How much do you want to serve? How how much do you wanna know? How much do you want to love? I'll take you there, but I'm not gonna take you one step further than you're not willing to go. Boy, he'll take us all the way if we want. Or he'll take us three steps. And then we're kind of like some of the people we read about in scripture, where we're wandering around the wilderness and we wonder why nothing's ever happening, and ah, oh, uh, uh, you know, he made those decisions. Then he's constantly drawing us to him. That's what he's doing tonight, right now, to all of us. He wants us to follow him, he wants to work in and through us, he loves us. But you have to go along with it, it has to be your desire too. Well, I don't know. Well, then ask him for the desire. Lord, give me that desire. Lord, I want to have that passion for you. I want to lay aside those things. Lord, help me to focus on you. And he's always answering those prayers, quick to answer those prayers. Give me that heart. Well, verse 15 says, Wherever, whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges to deliver them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So the Lord let them have it their way, like Burger King. How do you want it ordered? You got it. Okay, you're going to have it. But this is what the natural outcome of that's going to be. If you're going to choose to do that, this is where you're going to end up. So they chose that. The Lord said, okay, you're going to have it that way. They end up over there, and they realize, man, what a miserable place I'm in. And so, oh, this is awful. They cry out to the Lord, and you notice what the Lord says in verse 16. He raised up judges to deliver them out of the hand. So remember, don't think of the book of Judges. Don't think of this guy. Not a guy with robes, with a wooden gavel behind a bench. That's not what the word judges mean here. It means literally heroes or rescuers. Think of them as heroes. People that, guys and gals, uh, uh, that the Lord is going to use to, to deliver his people. I mean, they get so sick and miserable. They finally call out to the Lord. And the Lord's so good. He's always there to rescue them and to set them back up on their feet. But, of course, as we know, they'll, everything will be going good. Oh, I don't really need to go to church anymore. I don't need to read the Bible. I got out of that problem. I'll just kind of go back and slowly go back. There. And then they find themselves in the pit. The Lord rescues, and them. <laughs> that's the cycle of the book of Judges. And so he saves them here. And I kind of got ahead of myself. Let's read the rest of the cycle here. Verse 17. Yet they would not listen to their judges, or those heroes or rescuers. And they played the harlot with other gods. You get the idea of prostituting yourself. That's how the Lord looks at that. And bow down to them. And they turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commands of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers, by following other gods, and to serve them, and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And so the Lord tells you the rest of the cycle, they go back down again, they never seem to learn their lesson, they always want to seem to go back to their old ways, You know, when things start going good for them, they figure, oh, I can just kick back. I don't need to, you know, oh, the Lord, I don't need to follow those things. I'm out of that problem now. And they kind of slowly go back to their own ways of doing things. And rather than taking that time to build their faith and and grow closer to the Lord, they kind of go back to doing their own things, and pretty soon they'll find themselves in trouble again, and the cycle repeats again. You know, I... I think it's not too hard for most people to come to church when things are tough. But when trouble passes, they figure they don't need the Lord that much anymore, and they're doing fine, only to find themselves repeating the cycle. And it's pretty sad. You know, if things are going well for you right now, great. Dig in, draw closer to the Lord, you you know, Build your faith because there's going to be a time coming down the road when something's going to happen. It's something You're not going to go right. So you take these times to just grow closer to the Lord, that your your faith is built when bumps in the road come. Don't find yourself heading back off to doing the old thing. You're just going to repeat the cycle. That's what they were doing. The Lord wanted to, to get them out of that. He didn't want it to be like verse 20, uh, then the anger of the Lord was hot against them. You know, because they just started doing their own things and they ended up getting worse than they were before. And he said to them, because the nations have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers have not heeded my voice. I will no longer drive out before any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. So that, they may, that I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them, as their fathers kept them, or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did He deliver them into the hands of Joshua. So the Lord just gave him this warning, and He says, "Listen, you know, you didn't want to listen. You wanted to do things your own way. It's going to bring this trap, and and those temptations now are going to constantly out there, and there's going to be this constant battle. And he wanted to spare them from all that, just as he wants to do with us today. Let me, let me leave you with this thought. You know, the more you and I say no to the temptations that pop up in our way, the easier it is to say no the next time. When we give in to them, the easier it is for us to give in to them the next time. And so there's a, there's a pretty way, pretty you know, straightforward way to break those cycles is we just say no to the temptations when they pop up. Now, at first, granted, sometimes uh, I I speak it pretty easy and I understand it's anything but that because you got to the place where they've kind of taken over. But I'm telling you, once you and I turn that corner and say, no, I'm not heading down that road, I'm not doing that, I'm not looking at that, I'm not going there, I'm not being a part of that, whatever it might be for any one of us in here, and we say no to it, the next time it gets a little easier and gets a little easier. It gets a little easier and gets a little easier. And soon we find ourselves over a period of time that that is really not much of a temptation anymore because we in our own minds have settled the issue is this is not a place I'm going to go. And I am gonna, I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to say no. And then that thing doesn't have the temptation power that it once did. And that's what the Lord's trying to tell them. Now he's faithful and when they go down he's there to bail them out but again... He loves them, doesn't want to see them going there in the first place. And so, you know, great encourage us this evening. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for these words, Lord. And, you know, you've preserved them with us in mind here at this day in this place. Yeah, the story happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. But people are the same. We're the same. Yeah, they didn't have electricity or iPhones or cable TV, but... They have the same pains and temptations and aches and worries and problems that we all do. So, Father, I pray we be those that learn and we draw closer to you and see your love, see your plan, and when you warn us, Lord, it's never needlessly. You do it for a reason. And you do that because of your love you have for us, Lord. So draw us close, Lord. Help us to be those people that, you know, just grow and grow closer to you and just grow in our intimacy and our relationship with you, Lord. And the things of this world just, well, don't have the pull. And Father, for any of us struggling here tonight, Lord, I pray that we would just turn to you. And you're so quick to answer. And you want to give us the the passions and the desires, Lord, that were absolutely best for us. Because you love us. I pray we'd be those people that seek those out, Father. And you, you, Bless us beyond what we can understand, Lord, because that's what you want to do. And we thank you for that. Fill your people, Lord, with your spirit, Lord. Do great works in and through them. But we love you and thank you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.